0: Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoyed listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. You turn your Bibles to Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. What does it take to give someone the strength to be able to be faithful unto death? That's what Jesus calls us to to be faithful unto death. He says this to the church, and he, everyone here, he calls us to be faithful to him even unto death. Church history tells us of a, the story of a, of a man named Polycarp. You ever heard of Polycarp, anybody? We don't t- learn enough about church history. Um, Polycarp was actually probably one of John's very disciples, the Apostle John who wrote this, and he was later the, the pastor there in Smyrna, the, the church that Jesus is addressing here in the letter we're going to look at tonight. And when Polycarp was about 86 years old, um, he was turned in as a Christian, and uh, the authorities came and arrested him, and they were, they were giving him a chance. They were saying, you know, consider how old you are. At, at least, you know, recant, and, and we won't kill you. You know, we won't, we won't throw you to the wild beasts. And he says, for 86 years, I have served my Lord, and he's never done me wrong. I'm not going to turn my back on him now. I don't remember exactly the words, but it's something along those lines. He's never done me any harm. I'm not going to deny him now. And um, the uh, the authorities they they then said, you know, "If you're not going, if you're not afraid of the wild animals that we would throw you to the wild animals, then we're going to burn you." And he said, "I am not afraid." You you talk about a uh, a fire that will may burn for an hour and then it's going to go out, but you're not uh, you don't know about the the fire that will burn for eternity that you are in danger of. Uh, this was the answer that Polycarp gave. And then finally, there's more to the story, but eventually they did burn him. They burned him at the stake. And tradition tells us that he, um, that the fire would not burn him. There was like this uh, protection all around him. The fire was burning all around him and it didn't burn him. You know, it's not in the Bible, so I don't know if this is just a, a legend that's come up around him or if this is tradition, but it's something that Jesus could have done. And so the authorities, because he wasn't being consumed by the fire, they took a dagger and they stabbed him to death. And then because, you know, believers, they care so much about the body because of the resurrection, the, the fact that we believe we're going to be raised again from the dead, um, they wanted to take his body. To, to be able to care for it, like Jesus' body was cared for, whenever they anointed him with spices and things like that to, to prepare for burial. But they refused to give him his body. They burned him burned him up to show their disrespect. Yet Polycarp could not be extinguished. And Jesus cannot be extinguished. Christianity, this this New religion, this movement started by Jesus and his apostles could not be extinguished because Jesus is on the throne. Let's look at our text Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and who came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews, but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested for ten days. You will have tribulation. But be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have spoken to us. Lord, give us ears to hear as we are called to have, to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. Lord, give us ears to hear that we might Respond in faith, and Father, I pray that you would give me boldness. I pray that you give me clarity as I speak, and Father, I pray that you would give me grace. For I am a sinner, I am weak, and I need you to be able to speak your word. Lord, give me grace as I as I preach in Jesus' name, Amen. It begins very similar to Jesus' last church that He addressed. Remember, we're going through Revelation, these seven churches that Jesus addresses. Before we came to these letters, there was an introduction where Jesus appeared to John and and he had eyes like flames of fire. He had hair that was white. He was wearing a a robe that went down to his feet and a golden sash around his waist. He had a a sword coming from his mouth. He had the seven stars in his hands and he walked among the golden lampstands. All these things we read about Jesus and as we come to each of these churches, he reminds us again of some of those characteristics that we saw in chapter 1. In the Ephesian church, he reminds us, whenever he's talking to the Ephesian church, that had their, their love had grown cold, their, they had, had forsaken their first love When he he speaks to them, he tells them, I'm the one who has the stars in my hand. The seven stars which represent the angels to the seven churches. I'm in control. I hold them in my hand. And he walks among the seven lampstands. He's with them. He's present. He walks among his churches. Now here, to the church of Smyrna, Jesus identifies himself as the one Who is the first and the last who died and who came back to life? And these are really important things for this church of Smyrna to hear. This was a persecuted church. They were so persecuted that some of them were about to die for the faith. And Jesus tells them, I am the first and the last, reminding them that He is God Himself. He is the first and the last. Also, when you think about those words, the first and the last, just think back to what the earliest thing that you could possibly remember. And he's way before that. And just imagine what your life might be like at the end. And he's long, long, long after that. He is before anything we could ever conceive or imagine. He's after anything that we could ever conceive or imagine. But he is... God Himself, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. When Jesus says these things, He is claiming who He is. And then he says, "I died and came back to life. These believers in Smyrna, they are facing death. And yet Jesus reminds them that he is the one who died and who came back to life. He he then begins to address this congregation. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty and the slander of those who say they are Jews, but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Jesus knows His church. He knows them. It's it's not like He's off doing better things up in heaven somewhere. No, He knows what we're going through. He knows everything about His churches. He knows their tribulation. The suffering that they go through. He knows about it. What comfort that is to know that Jesus knows those tribulations that we go through. And He knows their poverty. He knows their poverty. You know, imagine... It wasn't easy being a Christian in that day. They were under persecution, and probably because of their desire to be faithful to Jesus, they probably had a difficult time getting work. Their poverty could have very possibly been because there were financial problems associated with following Jesus. It wasn't necessarily that only the the poor were the ones who were drawn to Jesus. There were people from all kinds of different social statuses. Even people from Indomitian's own house were believers. But here in Smyrna, it was probably the persecution was so severe that it hurt them financially. But Jesus reminds them, He knows their poverty. He knows about it. He he can identify with them, but at the same time, He reminds them, you are rich. In the world standards, they may not have much. In the world standards, they're insignificant. Nobody really would care about them. But in Jesus' eyes, they are rich. They have Jesus. They are possessors of an inheritance that is in he- laid up in heaven that can never perish. Jesus says He knows their tribulation, He knows their poverty, but they are Rich. Then he says he knows the slander of those who say they are Jews but are not. They're a synagogue of Satan. It's probably that these are really ethnic Jews. They, they were ethnic Jews, but in the Roman Empire at the time, here's here's the situation there. What the masses believed in and, and had to worship was this kind of empire emperor worship. They had all kinds of different gods and everything, but there was um, there was a kind of an exemption that was given for Jews, so that the Jews they didn't have to um, bow down before uh, these Roman gods and things like that because they had this exemption. They were a legal religion, yet these Christians, they were saying, the the Jews were saying, these Christians, they're not Jews. They're not really Jews. They don't don't follow the same customs we do. They were calling them out and accusing them so that they would be um, taken before the council, taken before the authorities, and persecuted. These ethnic Jews were accusing, they were the, the very ones who were accusing Jesus' people, these, this church here in Smyrna. But Jesus, look at how he called, what He calls them. They are a synagogue of Satan. They think that they are on God's side. They think they're doing God a favor. But what Jesus says is they're actually a synagogue of Satan. And remember, what does the word Satan mean in its root? In, it, in the idea of its name, it means the accuser. That's what these these ethnic Jews were doing. They were accusing these Christians so that they would be handed over to be imprisoned and suffer all kinds of persecution. What Jesus says to this church was facing this kind of persecution. He says, "I know of your tribulation. I know of your poverty, though you're rich, and I know of the slander that you're facing." Then Jesus says, "Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Do not fear." You know, it is not an empty thing that he says. You know, we we can we can come along someone who may have some kind of fear, and we can tell them, oh, don't be afraid. And It's like a small thing. This was no small thing coming from Jesus. Remember, He is the one who died and came back to life. It means something different whenever it comes from Him. Whenever He says, do not fear. He says, behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Jesus is telling them, don't be afraid. It's coming. It's coming. You're going to face persecution. You're going to be in prison for it. But don't be afraid. He says, "The devil's going to throw you and some some of you into prison, that you may be tested for 10 days, and you will have tribulation." Is something that strikes me here, why would the devil want to test these Christians? Why would he test them? I think that it's God who's testing them. Testing them to see that they're faithful. It shows that even the devil cannot do anything outside of God's power. He may be the devil, but he's not ultimately all-powerful. God is in control. He's God's devil. He's on a leash, and he can do nothing that God does not allow for him to do. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. God tests them. And he says, for ten days. I don't know if this is a literal ten days or not. Um, Just think in comparison, though. We, We read later in the book of Revelation about a thousand years where Jesus will reign. And in comparison to that thousand years... Ten days is just a little while. I think whenever Jesus tells them you're going to be put into prison for ten days, He's saying it's only going to be a little while. In comparison to all of eternity, it's only going to be a little while that you're going to be in prison. But He says, be faithful unto death. They may be going into this prison never to come out again. They may be going into this prison to, to die. Yet Jesus tells them, do not be afraid, be faithful unto death. Why? Why can they not be afraid? Why can they be faithful unto death in in spite of such persecution? Because, the next line says, I will give you the crown of life. They may die for their faith. They may die for standing up, not giving in to persecution. They may die for that, but Jesus will give them the crown of life. And He has the authority to do that because He is the one who died and who is now alive. Who is the first and the last. Next. We hear something that we hear in each one of these churches. As Jesus addresses them, He says, let him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. While this letter was intended originally for Smyrna, it is for us today. We face many different trials, many different tribulations, different sufferings. Jesus says, be faithful unto death. Don't give up. Whatever you face whether it be a temptation to be to give in because of financial pressures from your employer things like this because of the world that we look at today that we live in today it's not a big leap to think somebody can lose their job because of standing up for christian values we live in that kind of a world today And Jesus says, be faithful unto death. Do not compromise. We may not face death, but we face a world that pressures us to compromise. And Jesus says, be faithful unto death. Finally, Jesus gives us one more promise. He says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. He gives us this encouragement to stand firm, to be faithful unto death, because even if we die in this life, we will not be hurt by the second death. What is this second death? We can turn over to Revelation chapter 20 or 21. I'm going to read from 21:8, which says But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers and the sexual immoral, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The second death is hell. And the one who overcomes the second death will not harm. But you know what? The only way to escape the second death is to overcome. To overcome. I'm not saying that, that we we somehow earn our salvation, but when we are in Christ, we overcome. He has defeated all of our sin. He has defeated all of our enemies. We trust in Him. We are faithful unto death. We don't deny Him. Not that it depends on us. Because ultimately, if we are truly saved, if we're a believer, He is going to hold on to us and never let us go. He will empower us and strengthen us to be able to overcome. What Philippians tells us is, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. The ability to conquer, the ability to overcome, it doesn't come from within ourselves. It comes from Him who began a good work in us. So my closing words, be faithful unto death. Don't compromise. Don't give up. For the one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at redeemerbaptistpanama.wordpress.com or you can like us on Facebook.